Seems like somebody ought to just say glory. glory. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 as we continue our series. Probably maybe one, maybe two more sermons on this, uh, on this series of activating agreements that there are things that go on each day, thoughts, statements, things you hear, things you think, things that you uh, observe. And some of that's true and you want to agree with it. Some of it's not true. Some of it's actually harmful and you don't want to agree with that. And it's, it's deeper than we think because... Um, it's easy to say, I believe this, but if we act and speak uh, in ways that are different from what we say we believe, then we're actually agreeing with something different. And so we are looking at truth. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us by Facebook Live. Uh, if you have children, uh, we're having Vacation Bible School starting here on July 17th through the 21st. I'd love for you to um, uh, let us know if you want to uh, have your children come to uh, Vacation Bible School with us. We'd love for you to do that. All right, this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, as we look at another agreement. And this is one of those agreements that is, um, that is so very important. Uh, we're talking about deadly agreements this morning, and this is going to be deadly serious. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And as it was appointed for man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So I was listening to this guy talked uh, a few weeks ago, and I've been, I knew I would hit this agreement sooner or later, probably near the end of this series, and so here we are. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to this guy, and he was talking about the country of Bhutan, which sits between China and India. And he was saying that the country of Bhutan ranks as one of the happiest countries in the world. And um, I actually looked it up, and there's two different rankings of the world happiness. They're in the top five on one. They're 95th in the other one. Really not sure how to work that out. But anyway, they're supposedly one of the happiest countries in the world, and he was talking about that a little bit. And the thing that got me was he said that one of the reasons they say that they were one of the happier countries is that the Bhutanese, I guess that's how you say that, the Bhutanese contemplate the fact that they're going to die one to five times a day. And that the contemplation of death actually can lead to happiness. The guy that was doing the podcast said that, that, that when he read that, he kind of he caught on to that idea, thought he'd try that idea out. And so he signed, there's actually an app. Y'all know what an app is, right? An app something you put on your phone. It can tell you the weather. You can play a game. You have notes. You can have a camera. All these different things are called apps. And so uh, there's an app that will actually send you a reminder at random times, you don't know when it's coming, send you a reminder five times a day that says you're going to die. <laughs> How about that for happiness, all right? Five times a day, followed by a quote, followed by a quote. Well, you know, the quotes are, are not great. <laughs> um, the quotes are, leave a lot to be desired, but as I was listening to them now, you know, your apps have names, right? Uh, I have Weatherbug, you know, for the weather app. Camera for camera. Notes for notes. And then whatever your games are for games. Y'all listen to this. 
Try to think, what would the name of the app be that's going to give you a random reminder every day, five times a day, that you're going to die? The name of the app, We Croak. <laughs> for real, for real, We Croak. The, the picture of the app is a frog splattered on the pavement. <laughs> they had me. I had to sign up for it, right? I just got to sign up for it with that. And so for five times a day, uh, for over the last three weeks, I've been getting a random text, that say, a random reminder that says, you're going to die. It can be a bit jarring <laughs> five times a day. Uh, as I was looking over my notes this morning for this message, I got a reminder, you're going to die. <laughs> And, uh, and the, the, the quotes are really have not been, I guess if you do it five times a day, you run out of quotes pretty quickly, right? Uh, the quotes have not been very great. Uh, here's a couple of the better ones. We must remember that nothing in this world really belongs to us. At best, we are merely borrowers. Abraham Lincoln said, um, I can die but once if I am killed, but in constant dread of it is to die over and over. And probably the better one is Henry David Thoreau that I've gotten so far. When it's time to die, let us not discover that we never lived. Now, here's the thing I want you to see, the biblical truth I want to see this morning. You are going to die. That's the biblical truth. And so what we want to do and talk about this morning is how do you think about it? What kind of agreement do you make with your own death? Because God has truth for you, and God has a way to think about death, and Satan's going to lie to you about death, and this is huge. This is huge. This is the biggest agreement that you'll ever make because it's appointed and a man wants to die, and then you live forever. Everybody lives forever in one place or another. And so this is why I called it deadly agreements because it is absolutely huge. And the way that Satan wants you to think about death is to pretend like it's not going to happen. To try to put it out of your mind. To try to just not think about it. To, to just say, you know, it's just going to be over with one day. Or I think one of the, way, the ones that Satan uses a lot that might be true, but often is not true, is this. You'll just be in a better place. They're just in a better place. Almost every funeral I've ever went to, they've said to me, at least he's in a better place. And that's not always true. People say it. They say it to make you feel better. And they say it because they want it to be true. It's not always true. And, and I say that not to, um, not to discourage you, not to be a downer this morning, but... We might need to be jarred a little bit because we live in a world that so many times we act like we're not going to die. But here's the truth about death. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And what I want you to see is death can teach you a lot about life. Death can teach you how to live. Death is a doorway to your eternal Life. Now, look at verse 28. And verse 27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Now, here's the good news. Look at verse 28. This is what we want to focus in on this morning. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Aren't you glad? Verse 28 comes after 27. Verse 28 says, yeah, you're going to die, then the judgment, 
And that we are aware, we'll get into this in a minute, that we don't measure up. None of us can pass judgment on our own. But Christ died. We're going to die once. Christ died once to bear the sins in our place so we wouldn't have to bear the punishment for our own sins. So here's the thing. Death is either going to be the best or worst thing that has ever happened to you and me. Right? Everybody say best or worst. As your pastor, you come here, some of you are visiting, some of you come here almost every week, some of you come here every week. The one thing I don't want to do is not have us prepared to die. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't prepare you for eternity? What kind of church would we be if we didn't prepare our people for eternity? I want my heart for, for myself, for my family, my heart for you today is to have eternity be the best thing that ever happens to you. There's no in-between. It's either going to be the best or the worst. So I'm going to say three things about the agreements we make with death or about death, what we can agree with God. I'm going to say, first of all, there needs to be a preparing, secondly, a prioritizing, and then thirdly, there can be a pondering or a picturing. First of all, preparing. If we know that death is coming, I mean, if you know something important is coming in your life, one thing you need to do is prepare for it, right? You need to get ready for it. Just pretend. You've got something really important coming. Just pretending it's not going to happen doesn't help. Probably most of you will live to retirement age. If you're 25 to 30 years old and you have a full-time job, the time to start preparing is now. It's going to happen. You know, if you live long enough. Jesus doesn't come back. You live long enough. It's going to happen. And when you get 55 years old, it's too late. Unless you get a really, 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 really good job at 55. It's too late. The interest you're going to live on is going to be the one, that, the, the interest that accrues from the time you're 25 to about 40 years older. So that's the time. And pretending like, well, I, you know, I really want the new boat, really want the new truck, I really want the new camp, really want the new thing, and so I'm just going to put that off away. Pretending like it's all going to be okay doesn't mean it's going to be okay. Things like retirement, things like your marriage. Your marriage is going to be different five years from now than it is right now. You need to prepare for that. You need to, you need to get that in mind and say, okay, I need to make preparation. I need to do things today that my marriage will enjoy. We, me and my, and my spouse will enjoy five years from now. Your health, if you're, gonna, if you're alive in 10 years, what kind of decision are you making today so that you can be healthy 10 years from now? Now, the truth is, you're going to die, and we need to be ready. We need to think about it and be ready for that. Most of you know in 2017, uh, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. When I went to the doctor, uh, they told me I had three choices, three choices. One is, uh, you know, I could take some kind of treatment, which they said I really wasn't a very good candidate for. Uh, two, I could have surgery to have it removed. Or three, it's really slow growing, and so we could just watch it for six months. And which one of those sounded the best to me? Let's do nothing. <laughs> nothing sounds great. Let's pretend like it's not there. Uh, let's pretend like nothing's wrong. Let's just kind of go on with our life. No surgery, no pain, no recovery, no anything like that. But I asked the doctor, I said, but it is slow growing, right? He said, right. So it's growing right now, right? He said, right. I said, get it out. Why? Because the sooner I make preparation to get that out, I mean, I didn't want to live with surgery. I didn't want to live with the complications or, 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 or pain or any of that kind of stuff. But here's what I could not live with. 
I could not live with going back six months or a year later and they saying to me, it was contained, now it's not. Now it's outside. We've got radiation and chemo and, and it was, it's going to really be sketchy now because you did not do it six months ago. Could not, I could not live with that. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. By not getting right with God before you die, it's going to be something that you're going to have to live with, but you're really going to have a hard time living with. Just pretending like it's not there, it's not going to be a good thing. And I'm so glad I did. I mean, I'm cancer-free, I'm healthy, I have virtually no side effects from it at all. And so that what I said a minute ago, your death and your entry into eternity is either going to be the best or worst thing that has ever happened to you. It's coming and not preparing, not thinking about it is going to be tragic. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 again. It's appointed unto men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now here's the problem. We know that we're going to be judged for how well we've done. Let me let you in on a secret. You ain't done that well. Hebrews 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That means that what you've earned by your lifestyle and what I have learned by my lifestyle is eternal separation from God. I didn't make an A. You didn't make an A. We all made Fs. Okay? We don't measure up. Eternal life, to have death be the best thing that's ever happened to you, is a gift. It's a gift that God gives us in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God is not going to grade on the curve. God's not going to say... You know, you went to church a lot. You're pretty nice. You're pretty polite. I know that you rejected my son. I'm going to give you a break. Nobody gets a break. Nobody. Everybody say nobody. Nobody gets a break. I mean, God let his son die for us. Let his son die in our place to bear our sins. And as Phyllis said in her one-word testimony this morning, he says what? Come. Come to me. I'll take care. I've got forgiveness. I've got eternal life. I've got a gift for you, but you cannot earn it. Now, the, the agreement that Satan, listen to me, the agreement that Satan wants you to make is this. God's too loving to send anybody to hell. That is not anywhere in the Bible. If you choose to believe that, you're just kind of making it up on your own, okay? God's too loving to send anybody to hell. God's going to give you a pass. God knows how hard you've tried. God knows how hard you've had it. It's going to be fine. I wish that were true. I really do. I wish everybody was going to be fine. It's uncomfortable to preach a message like this, and it's uncomfortable for me as a pastor to know that people that I talk to, preach to, share Christ with, and some say no, and some don't want to give their life to Christ. Most people say, I'll do it later if they choose to refuse Christ. I'll do it later. I'll do it another day. To know that they are gambling with their own eternity breaks my heart. Troubles me. It should trouble all. It should cause us to pray harder and harder and harder. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, New International Version, where the Bible says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, or men who have sex with men, or thieves, or the greedy, or the drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. 
you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, it's easy to go in that verse and look at it and say, "Uh uh-huh, see there, homosexuals are going to hell. See there, the uh, greedy are going to hell. See there, the drunkards are going to hell. But notice the first verse said wrongdoers. Got all of us, didn't it? And he says, now, some of you were this way, but you were justified. What that means is, that means is that we're all guilty, we're all wrongdoers, but Jesus died in our place. That if we would come to him and say, Lord, I believe that what you did on the cross, I believe you died for my sin. I believe that you bodily rose from the grave. And I put my trust, I've turned from my sin. I repent of my sin. I put, turn my back on my sin. I turn to you and I trust you to forgive my sin. That he will. It's a matter of do you believe Christ will keep his word? Here's the thing. Sin is expensive and everybody's gonna, somebody's gonna pay for yours. You either pay for it yourself Or Jesus pays for it for you. And that's the only two options that you really have. Now, my concern today in preaching this message is this. Somebody's going to hear this and say, okay, so what do I need to do to get right? What do I have to do to not go to hell? What do I have to do uh, to to get out of hell and go to heaven? Show me the prayer. Show me the thing. Show me what do I have to do. do Do I need to join a church or be baptized or be a better person, all that kind of stuff? And here's the thing. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's not a magic prayer. There's no magic thing that you can do. There's no magic action you can take. It is a heart relationship where you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I'm sorry I've lived for myself. I trust you. I give myself to you. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. You see, when I die and when you die, what we have done with Jesus has predecided what happens to us. Once you die, it's already decided. It's already done. This is the time to prepare. I read about uh, a lady named Beatrice Fuduic. She, uh, her obituary was in a Winnipeg Free Press. I read it in the New York Post. She died when she was 94 years old. And of all things, she wrote her own obituary. And listen to this. She wrote it as an application for heaven. This is what she wrote. Dear Lord, please... And and the Winnipeg Free Press decided to run it just like she wrote it. Dear Lord, please accept my application for eternal life. My resume is as follows. And then she talked about her family. And then she got down to it and she said, Lord, you know that as a teacher, I never had any teacher's pets. I put my heart into teaching those with learning challenges or difficult family situations. It was here that I felt I did my best work. Also did volunteer work, knitting scars for underprivileged children, list a few other things that she did. And she said, summing up, she added, Lord, I hope you will find that I have met my objectives and deserve a place in your heavenly home. You know where to find me to further discuss my qualifications. Fail. Because here's the thing, she did not list her sins. She did not list the times that she offended God, broke God's law, ignored God's law. She she didn't. And so if you have your resume, here's my deal. The answer is no. 
You pay for your own sins. If you can say, Lord, I trusted in your son. I gave my heart and life to Jesus, believed in him. I, the Bible says, Lord, I, your word says that if I would believe in my heart that, that Christ was raised from the dead and confessed in my mouth, Jesus is Lord, I'll be saved. And I called in the name of the Lord. God, that's what I'm counting on. That's called faith. Second thing, first of all, it's preparing. Secondly, it's prioritizing. Death helps us to remember there's a period at the end of the sentence of your life. We tend to think the opportunities of our lifetime are unlimited, but they're not. Your, the opportunities in your life are very, very limited. One of Satan's big, agree, big agreements he wants you to make is this. You have plenty of time. <laughs> Got plenty of time. There's no rush. Chill on the whole spirituality thing. You get to it later. Wait till you're older. But death helps us to remember that those things are not true. None of us know how much more time we have. Jesus could come back before I finish this message today. You could die this afternoon. Even if you're 15 years old, you could die this afternoon. If you're 70 years old, you could die this afternoon. Death reminds us there's a period at the end of the sentence. So what? So do the things you want to do for Jesus today. Don't put it off. Here's your weekly growth suggestion. I want you to think about this statement. If you were to die next month, what are some things you would really want to do before then? Is there something that this might lead you to do this week? Knowing that you're going to die, knowing that your time is limited, what do you really want your life to count for? I would encourage you, is there somebody that you need to share your faith with? You may not have forever to do that. Is there uh, someone that you... um, Uh, need to share your testimony with if you're a parent and you have children that are at least 13 years old or so and you've never shared your testimony of how you got saved please do that with them as a pastor I beg you to do that with them I'll get up and preach your funeral if you want me to one day but they need to hear from your voice if they're have any kind of spiritual intelligence at all they know that because you went to church doesn't mean you were saved they need to hear from you your testimony of how you really uh, given your life uh, to Christ. There may be a habit you need to start in your family. You don't have forever to disciple your children. It may be a need a habit to start praying together, saying meaningful words. Maybe there's someone you need to, uh, uh, to, to an act of obedience, some money to give, someone you need to say I love you to, someone you need to write a letter to. I remember about 15 years ago when my parents were in their 80s, I decided to write both of my parents a letter just saying thank you for being my mom and being my daddy. I'll always, try, I'll always be so grateful that I was able to do that. Think about prior, what is the priorities of your life. Heaven is going to be a mind-blowing place, but there's some things that we can't do in heaven that we can do here. You can't share your faith in heaven. Everybody say You can't disciple anybody in heaven. You can't disciple your kids in heaven. You can't reach out to the needy in heaven. We can't have a church that impacts the world in heaven. These are things we do today before we get to the end of the sentence. I heard a story. I don't know if it's true. Probably not true. It's a story. It's just an illustration. makes a good point whether it's true or not. The story is there was these two twin sons, and their dad was an alcoholic, abusive father, horrible father. And they were sitting... I think maybe the dad had passed away or something. They were sitting in the pastor's office, and one son was just like his dad. Alcoholic, abusive, um, just had lived an awful life. 
The other son, the other son, a good citizen, good job, great family, kids loved him. And the pastor was asking him, you know, why did you, why did you turn out like you did? He asked the first one, the guy that was alcoholic, abusive, uh, just a lot like his dad. He asked him, why did you turn out this way? And he said, how could it have been any different? History has to repeat itself. And he asked the other son, twin brother, how did you turn out this way? And he said, how could it be any different? History cannot repeat itself. You got to, it's your decision, right? Your decision and what you prioritize in your life. Somebody, if you've come from a, a dysfunctional family background, terrible family background, somebody somewhere in your family needs to say, that stops here. <laughs> we would have stopped that right here. This, from now on, I'm going to do the very, very best I can to live a Jesus-honoring life while I have time. I cannot repeat what's happened to me. Last of all, there is a picturing or a pondering. Be the difference maker in your family. Somebody, somewhere's always got to be the difference maker in a family. Last of all, we, we prepare by getting to know Jesus. Then we prioritize what's really going to make an eternal difference with our lives. And then we picture, ponder, what's it going to be like? You see, one of the cool things about exciting things that are going to happen, uh, birthday parties, Christmas, vacation, is the anticipation, Right? The anticipation, look forward to it. If you've ever had a six-year-old in your house on Christmas Eve, you know a little bit about what that's, what that's like, right? Cannot hardly get those kids to bed. They're so excited. And, and the, the anticipation is part of it. Listen, when we think about heaven, the picture is mind-blowing. To ponder a life where you're not living by faith, but you're living by sight. The one who gave us life for you. You're living by sight in the presence of Almighty God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This is a verse that's so often misquoted. So often misquoted. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Most people say, we don't have any idea what it's going to be like. But read verse 10. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, but God has revealed something about it. <laughs> we got enough to know it's really, really good. So I'm going I'm to do something I hardly ever do on Sunday morning. I, in just a second, I'm going to ask, I'm just going to give you like 30, 45 seconds or so, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, tell me something about heaven that you're really, really looking forward to, all right? I started to list a whole bunch of things, but I decided it'd be better if you did it. So in just about 30 to 45 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, you at home, holler it out at home. We'll pretend like we hear you, but y'all to hear each other. So 30 to 45 seconds, raise your hand real quick. What's something you're really, really looking forward to about heaven? Tommy? Seeing your son again. Amen. Somebody else, raise your hand. Mike? Jesus one-on-one, -on -one. Carla. A new body, Danny. The worship that's going to be there. All right, somebody else. What are you really looking forward to in heaven, Robert? No pain. Somebody say amen. Somebody else, what are you really looking forward to about heaven? Yes, Amanda. The beauty all around us, Lisa. Singing in the heavenly choir. All right, to, uh, uh, Megan. I'm sorry? 
No worries. No worries at all. No anxiety, nothing to worry about. One more. Somebody who who wants to be the last one here real quick? What you what are you looking really looking forward to, Dorothy? Right. Just being being in the presence of God's almighty glory. Think about that. That is Bible truth for those who are saved. Bible truth. Let me close. As I said, it's either going to be the best or worst thing that's ever happened to us. The Chronicles of Narnia, I've read this to you before, but it just fits so well with what I'm saying this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. There's so much... um, of that that just relates so well to, to the Christian life. I really do believe it's an allegory for a lot of the Christian life. When he writes the very last paragraph of the Chronicles of Narnia, he says this. The things that began to happen, the, 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 the characters have died. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever. And I love this, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Would you stand please with him?